Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses for an audience of uh, entrepreneurs who are building their businesses, often while listening to this podcast. And when I started doing my podcast, there were hardly any other podcasts out there. Definitely not a lot of business-based podcasts. The whole thing was just kind of weird. But my audience figured it out. We like tech. We like things that are a little bit weird. And we got into it. And then I started to watch other podcasts pop up. And when my understanding of the tech space and the podcast space changed is when Reed Hoffman, the freaking entrepreneur who created LinkedIn, decides what is he going to do? Create a podcast. It was called Masters of Scale, highly polished, highly produced with his like his energy, his wisdom. His, he almost has this professorial uh, point of view and, and attitude. He did it. I go, whoa, this is like a game changer for the podcast space. And he started to interview people. In fact, for my book, Stop Asking Questions, I went back and I looked at some of his interviews, including the one that he did with Richard Branson. And of course, he's got big reach and killer. Most of you have listened to it or at least sampled it or have considered it. Um, what you may not know is what I didn't know. There's a whole business behind it. And so I invited the founder of the business. The company is called, wait, what? His name is Darren Triff, I invited him on to talk about how he got to create a podcast with Reed Hoffman, how he built that up into more than just a single podcast. And the thing that I am like shocked and amazed by is this course that they created. They created a course platform called Masters of Scale Courses. It was actually created by my previous sponsor, TopTal. I'm fascinated by that and how well it's doing. And I want to understand about the business of content creation as like an educational business through this interview with Darren. And we could do it thanks to my sponsors. The first, if you're in the content space at all, you should know about SEMrush. And I'll tell you later why you need to have them and why they're so upset with me. And the second is... <laughs> truthfully. And the second, if you're if you're paying people, especially if you're getting started in 2021, uh, 2022 properly, you need to know about Gusto and I'll tell you later how you can get them for free. But first, Darren, good to have you here. Awesome to be here, Andrew. You don't know me well, so it's going to feel awkward for me to ask you this, but what's your revenue? How much money are you guys producing <laughs> top line? That's your first question? That's my first question. <laughs> Aren't you supposed to warm me up a bit? I don't think so. I think like as a business person, I'm hoping that you like it. We are. Well, look, we are, we are, you know, creating masters of scale and doing a startup at the same time is a bit of a meta experience. Like every, everything we learn on, on Monday, we wish we had known on the Friday before. <laughs> and, um, we are, we are doing well. We have multiple podcasts, master of scale being one meditative story, spark and fire. Um, and I can share with you that we are, we have doubled revenue every year since we started the company in 2017 and, um, and we are looking forward to a great 2022. Are we talking about single millions, more than 10 million? Can you just give me a ballpark? I want to get a sense of how big the bread box is not to go to your accounting. I can, I cannot share that with you. You can't even share that. I cannot share that with you. I would, I would lose, I would lose my job even as the founder. Okay. Um, is is the business at all bankrolled by Reed Hoffman? Reed, so no, we um when so June Cohen and I started Wait What in 2017, and we uh, built and led the media organization inside of TED mm -hmm. from the earliest days of launching TED Talks, and we launched uh, we we left TED in 2017. Uh, we um invested our own capital to get, wait, what started and did a very small seed round 
uh, Reed was not involved in that round. And um, in subsequent rounds, um, Reed did come in and support. He's not he's not one of the larger investors. He's a smaller investor, but yes, he is a is a supporter. Can you give me a sense of downloads, maybe, for his podcast? Is there anything that you can give me that gives me a sense of how big the business is? Sure. So far? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm happy to tell you about uh, downloads um, for the podcast. So, um, National Scale had a record month last month. It was uh, downloaded uh, just shy of two and a half million times. It has uh, an 85% listen-through rate. Uh, it's listened to in about 150 countries. And I think what's most important is um, when you look at the the, the, the sort of the, the listenership of Massive Scale, it's super interesting. Um, and it tells us a lot about how people are using it. So to give you a sense, um, almost 60% of the audience identifies as founders, entrepreneurs, or C-suite executives. Um, 32 our C-suite executive, 32% are C-suite executives at major companies. Um, 75% are between 18 and 50. Um, and at, uh, almost 90% are college graduates. And so it's a, um, it's a very hard to reach, sophisticated, mm-hmm. passionate audience about entrepreneurship and, and company building. And entrepreneurship, which is a word that I love that he includes, that there are people who are basically acting like entrepreneurs inside of organizations uh, I think Google is the is the company that's most well known for doing that, but there are others, and I can see that he's speaking to them. All right, let me understand how you got this started. Was your idea when you got started to create a podcasting network, or was it to do more of an educational company? Yeah, it's interesting. I think that the roots for Wait What, um, there's a lot of DNA from Ted in Wait What, uh, which is that we believe you know first person narratives uh, are vehicles for putting important ideas out into the world. And if you look across each of our properties, they are centered on, uh, of course, storytelling uh, from someone who is a master teacher. Mm-hmm. And every episode that we create uh, from Masters of Scale to the other uh, podcasts are rooted in a key idea. And the way that we describe Wait What is that we are creating content that's at the intersection of habit and human potential. And so mm-hmm. our mission is to is to elevate human potential to help people um, play at the top of their game. Got it. And that was the original idea. And then did you approach, was Reed Hoffman's podcast the first one that you did? That's right. So uh, Jaren uh, knows Reed from Ted. Uh, of course, in, you know, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't leave Ted with, with equity, but we left with a lot of social equity mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's enabled us to, um, you know, to build some of these uh, early, you know, build relationships early. And yes, um, you know, Reed, as you said, Reed, you know, is, you know, Reed, Reed wanted to be a philosopher. Like when Reed was in school, he wanted to be a, a philosopher. He's very much a public intellectual. He is deeply generous and sees himself, uh, you know, as um, someone that um, has a, a deep sense of um, purpose and helping other entrepreneurs along the journey and Masters of Scale was, was a platform for him to do that. It's become, it's become one of his most important um, vehicles. Because I guess it's the two of you that helped create the TED Radio Hour on NPR, right? To take the content from TED, you and June Cohen, your co-founder, repackaged it, put it on NPR. He got to see what you were able to do there. You started a new company and you said, you see our production chops, you see our level of quality, we think you should have a podcast too. Is that the conversation? I'm looking at your eyes to get a sense of whether I'm in the right track. Or not, not really. So, yeah. so no. So 
we 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 almost we never ask people to do things for us. We ask people to do what they already want to do. Okay. And Reed has um Reed has through his many books and um his public speaking engagements, Reed has always wanted to um share his 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 hard earned body of knowledge. And so that was really the conversation that we approached Reed and we felt like um we could build a successful platform for him that really represented that brought his his ideas together and his wisdom together and really um um harnessed his relationships in a deeply authentic way and we also shared i'll i will share this with you andrew which is you know when we initially launched wait what we mm-hmm. launched it as a media invention company and we shared with reed that we wanted to create a format that's never existed before reed is um is an inventor at heart. And I think okay. what captured his interest was uh, creating a format that um, had not existed before. And what was that format? My my understanding of the Masters of Scale format is that it's him narrating a story told by an entrepreneur that he, I'm assuming, recorded the interview with, and then him making sure that you understand the points that matter to him and should matter to the listener. Yeah. Yes. Yes. To, to what you just shared, but, but it, it starts, it starts with a theory and upscale that Reed wishes to prove. And we have an instinct with each founder, what we're trying to prove. Right. And that is, you know, you'll hear that in, and, and Reed's, I believe statements. Right. So, you know, um, an example would be, you know, one of the first episodes is, is, you know, features, uh, Brian Chesky. Uh, one of the co-founders at Airbnb and his belief that in order to scale first, you have to do things that don't scale the whole handcrafted idea. And so Reed believed that too. And the best founder to bring on to prove that idea was Brian. And the, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I'm saying, okay, I get it. So it's him saying, I have this understanding of this belief of what it takes to scale. Here's someone who can help exemplify it. He reaches out to them and then brings them on. And I think he was one of the original investors of Airbnb. We keep talking about him, or I do at least as the founder of LinkedIn. But in addition to that, he's an amazing investor. He invested uh, in Airbnb. He invested in uh, Flickr and and, uh, so many other companies. Okay. So can you tell me more about how you how you partnered up? Because he's someone who could have just recorded on on his own. He could have produced. He could have gotten a producer. He could have worked with anyone. Yeah, that no, for sure. I mean, I think that it, it really um, it's really rooted in his relationship with June uh, and his belief uh, in um, her creativity and her ability mm-hmm. to create something that was exceptional. Okay. There's a you know there's. Even when we launched this four years ago, there was probably a million podcasts out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wanted to do something that was exceptional, that had, um, he didn't know, and we did, it's really funny. He he shares the story, and you might have heard him say this, Andrew, that um, he knew we were going to do something great, but when he listened to the first episode, he had no idea what we were actually building. Like, it mm-hmm. was a complete revelation. So the music, the cold open, the way that we used humor, the way that we 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 built the, we designed the I Believe statement and thread that throughout the episode. The surprise cameo guest. This was all, when he heard it for the first time, um, completely unexpected. But he believed in in the creative potential and he believed in our commitment to, to excellence and he believes in our deep sense of purpose. And that, that's what that's, he, he makes his decisions based on, um, relationships and people he believes in. And that's, I think that's what he, 
that's what drove the decision. What about promotion? What do you do to mm. get people to notice it and to download? Obviously, his name helps, but what else? Yeah, it's um, that has changed quite a bit. Um, you know, in you know, in the in, in twenty seventeen when we launched the series, the most important thing you could do would be to get Apple to feature it in the carousel, and when that would happen, you would just see yourself chart immediately, right? And it could be, it could, it could generate 30 to 40% of your audience. That same tactic today almost doesn't move the needle at all. Like almost, almost nothing. And so, you know, we've really, um, you know, we were early enough to be able to build that base audience. A lot of our growth now is word of mouth, um, entrepreneurs sharing it with other entrepreneurs. There is some, there's minimal paid media put against it, a few thousand dollars each year. And then there's a lot of um, cross-promotional relationships that we do. That seems like a big one today. Let me come back to cross-promotional, but go back to the carousel uh, since that was the beginning. My understanding was that you had a relationship with someone at Apple, and many podcasters did, right? And then you could reach out to them and say, we've got this special episode, or we've got an episode we think your audience will care about, or we're making this progress, and they would then feature. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, we... Um, Coming out of TED, we built relationships with, with of course, all of the uh, platforms. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you still have to make the case that uh, you're producing something that's um, of great editorial quality and, and, and worthiness. Um, but, yes, those, those relationships certainly helped. And, of course, those teams have all turned over. So you're constantly cultivating relationships with a ever-widening group of platforms. And that's, that's also an important piece of it. Apple... Apple was 90% of the audience in mm -hmm. the first season. It's 60% now. And so it's really about cultivating relationships with all the different uh, platforms. Can you go deeper with that? When you say cultivating relationships, how do you do that? Um, it's really based on, on having a team that is committed to deeply listening to the editorial teams at the different platforms, what they're focusing on each month, and to to create very high quality pitches that capture their interest, um, and that's really it. I mean, they, they they're you know how they make decisions is not you know is un, is unknown to us. And there's now twenty thousand new podcasts launching every week, yeah. twenty thousand every week, yeah. and so it's harder and harder to get their attention. When you say high quality pitches, can you be a little more specific there? Just help us visualize what you're talking about. Yeah. So currently there's a, you know, the different um, platforms have submission forms and you would take a lot of time and, and, um, and describing the episode, the audience that it can reach, what the idea is. This is the way we do it. I don't know the way, the way other people do it. We create um, exceptional artwork. We create that ahead before they commit to the promotion. We create artwork that sort of um, demonstrates. We carefully choose which episodes we're going to ask them to promote. We pick ones that are, of course, of recognized people. We don't go every single week asking for support. <laughs> we choose wisely. Those those basic kinds of things. And when you say that you craft those images, it's because the way it works is for many other podcasters, they reach out and say, we have an episode or we have a reason why you th we think you should promote us. Apple says, yes, 
and then they say what kind of images they need, and then the podcaster scrambles to get the images. You're saying you just create that ahead of time, show them what it would look like in their carousel, so you're prepared but also persuasive ahead of time. That's right. Um, and then you say now that the big thing for you is um, these co-promotions, right? Where Can you talk about how they work and how you put those together? Yeah, so there's different kinds. Um, you know, we... We will choose podcasts, of course, that have intersecting audiences with our own, and we choose them based on their quality, and we will um, commit to introducing their podcast to our audience up to a certain number of downloads. We'll make a commitment. They'll make a similar commitment to us. So that is, that is one sort of um, tried-true technique. I think that what we do that's most interesting that, that almost no one does is that we look at our brand partners as strategic partners, as, as alliances. And so for example, uh, Capital One, as you know, is a, is a partner to Masters of Scale, a multi-year partner to Masters of Scale. And Capital One is really, um, has been a great resource to small business owners. And they think deeply about how to highlight small business owners on Masters of Scale and how to provide them the kind of resources they need to, to, to grow along their entrepreneurial journey. Our partnership agreement with Capital One has what you would anticipate in terms of the kinds of um, commitments we make uh, in terms of advertising. But that is the smallest part of the relationship. We are, we are actively working with them to provide um, experiences and services to small business owners that are Capital One customers in ways that are um, that are just really innovative, and that goes from um, making the app available to hundreds of thousands are of um, uh, I actually said that wrong to tens of thousands of small business owners to creating strategy sessions where um, we're able to co-curate entrepreneurs that have sort of this opportunity to ask re, uh, direct questions to integrating our content on, onto their, onto their website and other kinds of ways that are just very atypical in podcasting. What do you mean by integrate your content onto their websites? I wonder if like, I, if I did that, maybe TopTal wouldn't be a former sponsor, but would be an actual sponsor right now. <laughs> How do you do that? Well, you know, in the case of Capital One, they have a uh, small business resource hub. And so um, each week as an episode, as we release the two episodes in the feed, we curate an excerpt that um, we think is particularly suited to small business owners and Capital One distributes that content. Um, and we, we make it available to them for social and we may end it and it sits on their site. Um, we anticipate next year there'll be even more interesting integration in terms of thinking about the distribution channels of our brand partners and bringing Masters of Scale as a whole through the distribution channels of, of partners like Capital One. Almost like if Capital One is going to have a TikTok uh, account for small business owners, they shouldn't have to reach out to the types of entrepreneurs that you're getting on Masters of Scale. You've got them already you can clip them, make it interesting, and let them publish on their feed. Is that right? That's right. Got it. That's right. Okay. 
and allow and allow them to contextualize in the in the appropriate ways to to trust that it, it and it it's, goes down to choosing your brand partners wisely, but to trust that Capital One's intentions they're a business, right? And so they're obviously trying to um, they're 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 of course uh, a massive business trying to grow grow, but um, but their mission um is is rooted in in true values and to allow them to contextualize the content to the around those values okay my first sponsor is semrush this is a tool that people use to get more traffic to their site using search engine optimization and paid ads if you were to do them at wait what have a partnership with them how would you do it like, give me a sense of how you integrate a sponsor well so we it, we believe that companies are the sources of some of the most important ideas in the world. Okay. And so when we look at a company and we choose who we're going to bring to Masters of Scale, and we're, we're, and we're in a constant sold out state, mm-hmm. we look for companies that have insights that they have never shared publicly. And that's how, that's how we qualify them. And so um, our ad format, which we call a three act ad, is a story told in three parts. Yeah. And it's designed to introduce ideas from companies that is that is genuine and that that actually causes our audience to reach. So they're designed to be sophisticated and they're designed to unpack ideas that come actually from the company. Uh, and so, so we, I, you don't hear us. Mm-hmm. Sorry, no, go ahead. You don't. I don't hear you do what. You don't hear us pushing products and doing sort of product-like ads. You hear us. You hear us mining. Or, or you hear us tapping companies for for their knowledge that they have not shared that is useful to business builders. Ah, uh, okay. So it might be more like you reaching out to Semrush, or in my case, if I want to learn from you, I would reach out to Semrush and say, "What is it? What kind of insight can people pull out of your your research that they're not aware of, and how could it be used? Teach it to me. Give it to me through an example of somebody who's done it as a as an entrepreneur." And then if, since I wouldn't do pre-recorded content in this interview, I might tell that story. That's right. Got it. Got it. So I, I did that before the, when, before I started really going into it, I reached out to my audience. I said, who out there has been using Samrush? Give me a sense of how you've been using it. This woman, Anita Campbell, who's been listening said, I used to just think of what great content we need for our audience, pay a writer to do it. And then maybe it hit, maybe it didn't. She said, then I started going over to SEMrush, started typing in the ideas that I have, looking for topics that actually will be searched for in Google. And only then did I go back and hire a writer and pay them to create an article on that. So it wasn't just her instinct. It wasn't the writer's instinct. It was what people were searching for in SEMrush and informed it. And as a result of that, she, uh, what did she say? Uh, if the ad rate is ten dollars per thousand impressions, you would need thirty thousand impressions just to break even. But once she did Semrush, she was able to grow revenue even further. It's that type of thing. I did in the beginning. I needed to do it even further. That's the way that I can learn from Wait What. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, I think I think anything that you would find interesting to learn. Yeah. Right? So the ex- yeah. Her experience and what she's learned that you could apply. It's just, it's the same. It's the you know the questions you're asking me could be the formats of ads. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Okay. The thing that I do that's different is I I will talk to my guest about the sponsor and often they've used them and they could talk about them. And frankly, Darren, sometimes they don't like them. They use a competitor, but I like having a conversation about why they picked a competitor to understand where my sponsor fits in and frankly, where there's a limitation. All right. So I should say this. Here's why uh, they're upset with me. 
the person who signed up for SEMrush has left the company. I told her, I can't just have a sponsorship where I say, go use SEMrush.com slash Mixergy. First of all, they don't even have that. So I had to create a Mixergy.com slash SEMrush so it's a trackable link. I said, but no one's going to go to it. It's a pain in the butt. They'll just remember to go to SEMrush. Give me a deal. Give me something that makes sense. And she said, okay, I'll let your people use it for free for a month. And so she made the deal. Little did I know she was leaving after a couple of months. And now <laughs> they keep running out of these these offers and my audience keeps emailing me saying, Andrew, the coupon expired, the coupon expired. And uh, and every time it does, I bring it back. This is just going to be available for the, the end of 2021 <laughs> and then we're done, uh, sadly. But if you're out there and you want to use them, it is SEMrush, excuse me, Mixergy.com slash SEMrush. I really appreciate Constantine Federer, who's the latest person to email me to say the coupon expired or they don't have any more. Can you get more? <laughs> I got more. I'm really grateful to SEMrush and I'm appreciative of their patience. Go use it now while it's still free. Mixergy.com slash SEMrush. Mixergy.com slash SEMrush. Let's talk about expanding beyond Masters of Scale. What's the next podcast that you launched? So I think what we're what we're most excited about right now is uh is our second I guess our second largest podcast. It's called Meditative Story. It's a completely different category. It's hard to imagine the same company that creates Masters of Skill also creates Meditative Story. And what it is, it's it's actually a um it's actually an alternative to traditional formats of meditation and mindfulness. And so it is a um either a well-known individual or a newer voice that's sharing a firsthand personal story of a moment in their life where everything changed, an unexpected moment of transformation where the person they became was different than the person that they were. And the way that we tell these stories is with very visceral detail. And so you feel like you've tra you're transported into the world of the storyteller. And our host inserts mindfulness prompts in the format itself, and it's all designed with this breathtaking music. And what we have heard, it's now, it's now downloaded about 800,000 times a month, and it has the highest listen-through rate in all podcasts. So it has a 126% listen-through rate. Listen-through rate means, person, yeah, what does it mean? Sorry. Well, in this case, it means, it means the average person listens to the entire podcast and goes back and listens again. Right. So if you have a podcast that's 30 minutes and you have a 50% listen through rate, most people are listening to half the podcast. And what's so interesting about it is that, um, you know, um, listeners are telling us that they see their own lives reflected in the stories that they're hearing. And that is improving their own inner life. And we're starting to take it into the corporate world. And that's, that's, the most exciting development. And we do this with all of our content. We have a, there's a media business, but our flywheel is how do you take content that you develop for a consumer audience and create value for an enterprise audience? And so we're about to move meditative story onto a major, um, coaching platform that uses the story to open up people, to drop them in their heart space and then run a facilitated coaching experience around the story. No one's ever done this uh, before. And um, it's an example of crossing over from media to corporate. What do you mean? What it's So it's corporate training that then will bring the stories that you've produced into their training? So it's, it's a platform that provides coaching and okay. provides wellness coaching. So, okay. um, right? And, but in order... 
to have a successful coaching session, particularly if it's around mental well-being, you have to open people up and drop them into their heart space. They have to feel, especially if they're moving from meeting to meeting and you're going to have mm. a meaningful conversation, you, yeah. you have to, that the way in is through story. And so this is a experiment in how do you initiate a coaching session with a story that, that settles somebody into, into their own emotions and allows the conversation to emerge from it. Okay. Got it. And so you've partnered up with them. They're essentially licensing your content and your reputation to help get their clients into this, into this space that they could be trained. That's right. Okay. So that's one model that you've gone after. Another one is membership. How's what's in the membership and how's that going? So we launched membership, um, in August of this year when we launched the masters of scale courses app mm -hmm. and, um, we've designed membership to have a number of benefits. Um, the app, the app has included access to live events, um, discounts to the master scale summit, which is coming up in April, um, other kinds of benefits. And, you know, we're figuring it out. Um, we have, uh, we've had, uh, very strong conversion, tens of thousands of, of members. Um, and we're figuring out what, what, what works and what makes sense. Yeah. It seems like you're in the stage where you're basically putting out the membership as a way of saying, do you want to support us? That the biggest benefit of the membership is the feeling of supporting a program and a peep and a group of people that your audience loves. And you're layering on the benefits and seeing what benefits make the most sense. So I, I see that you've got the, uh, live events. Um, you've got the private feed of sleep song with the sleep song, but, and, and discounts, but it, it doesn't feel like you've nailed the collection of offerings. It's more like saying, let's create this, see who wants to join when it's at its basic level. It's at, at its minimum viable product. And then layer on what else we need. Am I right about that? Yeah. So you're, you're um, referring to meditative story. Um, yeah. Masters of scale membership is probably a better because it, it's, we've been doing it a little bit longer. We've only been doing it for about seven months, but, um, but master scale membership is less about supporting the podcast. Right. Um, it's more about providing um, a curated layer of resources Mm -hmm. that entrepreneurs will find deeply valuable that are very expensive for us to create and are supported through a, through a membership program. And, and right now it's designed around providing most notably the courses that we create, but ultimately where we're headed is we are, we are planning to, to, to create ways for cohorts of entrepreneurs to work together around common challenges using our courses, but building ways that they can move through those courses as groups. So that actually, so the model is very similar to the one that I created for Mixergy, where I said, I've got an entrepreneur on to, to do an interview about how she built her business. Now I'm going to bring her back on to talk about and teach how other people can do one thing that she's especially good at. And we worked with the entrepreneur to create those courses. It seems like what you do is you work with Reed to pull out the key ideas 
and you pull out the clips to support them and he is teaching it using clips from the interviews that he's done for the podcast am i right but it's teaching that's right and so we we've designed it i think where we've landed with master the scale and this is um very much an evolution but yeah. what we think we do better uh than anyone else at this point is helping people understand winning entrepreneurial mindsets mm-hmm. and providing ways that they can cultivate those mindsets. So, so what do I mean by mindsets? Things that are, that are based on lived experience. So adopt a bias for action, kill your own bad ideas, mm-hmm. check your blind spots, um, master your emotions, turn skeptics into fans. Like those are the kinds of things that all entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs have com- have in common. Right. They have, they have, they have certain mindsets that, that, that have in common. So we have built, we are building our, our particular, um, thesis around entrepreneurial mindsets. And yes, what we do is in the courses app, we turn that into a daily practice. And Mm -hmm. so Reed will set up the idea, expect to pivot. He will then feature, will feature a moment from a iconic founder talking about pivoting and, 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 and sort of how, yep. how to, how to anticipate a pivot and then retells you how to apply it. So it's entirely built around this idea of daily practice and mindset building. What I like about mindset building is for the most part, it doesn't go out of date. If I did a course for Mixergy on search engine optimization, Dude, by the time it was published with one of the courses, Rand Fishkin, who ran Moz at the time, said, Andrew, this doesn't work anymore. It could get people in trouble. It's That's the problem. I see you're smiling because we hit a recognition, right? Mindset is, it's eternal almost, right? Expect a pivot is not a thing that will go out of date. Even if the phrase is not used anymore, the idea is is solid. I so, I'm so happy you said that. It's so true. You know, the, the key, I think, to creating content that endures over time and can be extended beyond the podcast itself, which is so key and sort of building an ecosystem is it's, is the timeless nature of it and knowing how to design, if it's a podcast is your first format, we're not a podcast company, but right now podcast is our first format, Mm -hmm. designing the content to have that timeless nature and to become more valuable over time is, is like, uh, like one of the most critical things that we think about. Right. As Sarah Blakely goes on to be more and more successful, more and more impactful. Maybe she turns her attention to giving later on. Her reputation is going to just grow and her credibility is going to grow. And so you've got that built into the course that I think is is the first one that I did with with the platform. Um, uh, the, uh, the thing that struck me is you did use TopTal. I used to have TopTal as a sponsor. People would contact me um, and say, I wanted to hire TopTal, but they turned me down. I'd say, why? And they said, well, I don't have a technical co-founder. They want to interact with the development team. They don't just want, you know, TopTal doesn't want to be the person, the company that sends you a person who builds everything for you. They want to fit their people in with the company. At some point after they left me as a sponsor, they said that they were going to um, 
They were going to do this, the whole package. Tell them what you need. Their developers will build it start to finish. I was shocked that you all use them because you got Reed Hoffman, you've got funding, you've got experience. I would have thought that you just go and hire your own development team and build that expertise in-house. Why did you use TopTal? As a bridge. As a bridge. And they were a great mm. bridge. We, we, we do love TopTal. Uh, so get them back because I think that they, they really have um, top talent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Um, we use them because we we're we're a fast growing startup, and so we just like literally at the very end of our top tell engagement when we had the alpha version of the app, we um, made five tech hires to build out our tech team, and so uh, we now are you know the app is um, fully under our you know our mm-hmm. domain, but. Um, but they were a great bridge bridge solution for us. Ah, this was a way to say we think that there's something here. We want to build as quickly as possible. TopTal, you build what we need, and then we're going to take it over and make it different over time, but you get us started. That's right. Got it. Got it. And Mm -hmm. I do see the development of the app. Dude, this is such a good app. So I've seen them build other people's app. This is the best one. Here's why I like it. Here's what I love about it. Because I'm, I'm in your space, so I see it. Number one, it's basically an audio player, right? Most people don't want to be bothered with another audio player, but you've got the key things that they're looking for so that it doesn't feel like a second-class audio player, like the ability to fast-forward 15 seconds or go back 15 seconds, speed it up from one, two, et cetera, speed, right? The ability to download background so that people can download it before their commute, and then when they're on the train or in the car, they don't have to worry about connectivity. But you also thought about freaking transcript, be in the app. At some point, I got to believe that Spotify is going to allow transcripts and more show notes. They now have added um, lyrics to music. So every time I see a song, I could see that I get the lyrics. So at some point, they're going to have to make, I, I hope, show notes more prominent because we want more than just the audio. Um but I also love how you're unabashedly audio first. With courses, the the mistake I think that I made was saying, I'm an audio person. I learn through audio, but no one's going to value education if it's just audio-based. I'm going to have to bring the visuals. I'm going to have to do much more of, a, of an interactive video experience. But I think that there's... There are a lot of people who learn through audio first and best, and you don't need to prance around video. So you do that. And then finally, the freaking notes button. I could press a button and add a note. I think that real learners want to take a note on something, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. I love, I love how you said audio first, not audio only, right? And and you're right. And it's it's the same habit that we see in podcasting, you know, people really maximize their commute time. They take walks, they run, they exercise, and mm-hmm. they are their undivided attention is on audio. And that's why you get these, you know, that's why podcasts like, you know, Tim Ferriss's podcast or, you know, they're so long, but they, they keep people engaged because it's a habit. And so, uh, yes, those are all, those are all things that we're thinking. And we're also thinking strategically, you know, how do we reduce our reliance on Spotify and Apple? Yeah. And should we move the pod, the whole podcast into the app? And, you know, and, and, and that's a big, that's a big part of the strategy because the platforms, the, the technology, the platforms provide isn't, um, it isn't, isn't, isn't world-class. Um, it, it's got real benefits and real short shortcomings. I feel like that your answer is going to be do both. And what you've done now, if I understand right, is say, look, we do really highly polished interviews 
with production and narration on our podcast. There's some people who just want the interview. We're going to make that an exclusive for our app. It's not for the broader audience, but if you're really deep in this world, you want to go deeper and have it just straight, we're going to give it to you. In the, am I right that that's the paid thing? That That is right, but but not too far away. We're going to bring the whole podcast into the app. I figured, and, but and not have, exclusively, right? Right. Not exclusively. Yeah. Definitely not. Mm-mm. Right. And so- one of the things that I've heard people say a lot with my podcast is they take notes and it's a pain to not be able to take a note in general or now my audience knows about this yelling out to Siri and having a note, you know, that you dictate get saved, but you kind of want it saved together. You want it with the thing or you want to mark off the section that matters so that you can get that. And I feel like there are a few unique to podcasting features that Spotify and the others are not, and not only unique to podcasting, unique to podcast learners. Am I right? You're right. And and also just the the sharing on Apple and Spotify is, is not easy. I mean, you, they really make you work to share. And when you're learning something, that's the first thing you want to do, right? You want to learn it yourself and you want to share it with a colleague. And so I think what you'll see in the next iteration of the app is sharing functionality that, um, that is, is, is really, um, cutting edge and makes it easy for people to share moments, um, easily, um, from the podcast. Meaning and take that, notes around moments. Right. right. The moment mm-hmm. that's important. This kind of reminds me of when I talked to Emmett Shearer, the founder of Twitch, who said they used to give stats. And then gamers would say, well, you're not giving us stats. And they'd say, no, look over here. We're showing you how many people watch this stream that you had. And, and the gamers would say, no, no, we have a sponsor. The sponsor doesn't want to know how many people listen to minute one and or minute 1000. They want to know who listened to the one minute that their ad was read in because that's what they care about. And so, yes, you could technically say that they were offering stats, but not really, not the stats that matter to their audience. And it wasn't until Emmett talked to his people that he realized that. So you're right. When you said there's sharing is not done well on podcasting apps, the jerk that I am, I, I went and I said, let me go and could prove him wrong. And there's a share button right there. You can actually see it right on the screen as soon as you, you hit play. But you're right also that it's share the whole podcast episode. I don't need to share the whole podcast episode. I want to share that one insight, especially if I'm learning or trying to share the thing. What I wonder from you is how did you understand that that's what your audience was looking for? What is your process for getting those kinds of insights from your audiences so you, you could build them into the products? Yeah, um, I'll, t- I'll, I'll, I'll answer that. One thing I want to say, Andrew, that I learned from you on this call is the way that you, with, with humor and just the right tone, um, speak to your partners, your sponsors in the con- embedded in the content itself. It certainly makes skipping hard, Thanks. but, but, but it also is very natural, right? And it works and it comes from a really authentic place. So I just want to say, I'm taking that away as, as my own note from, <laughs> from this conversation. Thanks. Sure. Um, so the, the primary way we learn is surveys, right? And we have such a crazy audience that they love to complete their surveys. And the, the one thing that they told us that led us to creating the, the, the app itself was, um, that there's now such a large body of content that they can't find the the, the key ideas mm-hmm. that they that they want to remember, and they also want to be able to share the content in meetings with colleagues. They're constantly hearing things on the podcast, and they're like, "Ah, I have yeah. to bring this into Monday's meeting," and so that's a big part of um, what what they've told us that's led to the notes and led to what what will lead to just even better sharing. 
All right. Speaking of sponsor, I'm just going to do a quick one for my second sponsor. It's Gusto. Do you know Gusto for paying your team? I've heard of Gusto. Tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I've interviewed so many other entrepreneurs who've used Gusto, and now I understand why. My problem is every year I have to 1099 people, and for some reason it always comes back to me. I've hired payroll companies and bookkeeping companies, and for some reason the 1099 comes back to Andrew to create, and I don't want to screw that up because it has to do with taxes, and I want to screw it up, and and I also don't want to spend a lot of time on it. So I, I switched from this payment company to that payment company. Last year I talked about another one that I went with, and I really liked them. The problem is there were too many steps, too many things I, that they could do. So I could actually send out a laptop to Ari, who's our producer, using this payroll company thing. I can actually connect it to um, to all these other apps and record. I, I don't need that. What I need is this, that if Ari sends me a bill, I think I could be the best person she works with if I pay her same day. And God knows I'm not going to make interest on it. I just want to be able to pay her quickly and get 1099 to her at the end of the year without me getting sucked into a lot of bookkeeping. And so I've tried a bunch of different software. I now understand why people use Gusto. It's super clear, super simple, just freaking works. I could 1099 people or I can pay them from my iPad with no problem as soon as they send over an invoice. And that's all I want. I don't need any extra features. I want simplicity and I want it to work. Now, if you go to their website, they're going to tell you that they have HR support. They're going to tell you that they're inexpensive. I don't care about inexpensive. How much are they? It's nothing. It's peanuts when you're paying some, when you're paying someone thousands of dollars and they come, Gusto comes in and says, for under $50, you can use our, who cares? I just want it to work well. Now, my audience is going to say, great, it makes sense. But until they feel it, they won't understand why I'm switching to Gusto right now, 2022. Ari, you're going to get paid through Gusto. Everyone else on the team is going to get paid through Gusto, whether you're W2 or 1099 or whatever you are. So my audience is not going to feel it until they actually see it for themselves. And so I'm going to let you use their software for free. If you're listening to me, it's gusto.com slash Mixergy. Just go go try it out, and then you'll see why it makes sense. Gusto.com slash Mixergy. You'll get to try it for free. If you decide you love them, you'll be able to switch to them. It's a great way to get started um, with your 2022 uh, payroll, Gusto. It's kind of awkward. I, I would do ads for a competitor, and my people would say that they use Gusto. I go, Okay, I'm not going to hide it. Let's be open, but let's talk about the difference. Um, and the difference was always simplicity, and now I need simplicity. Um, all right. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, how involved are you in the business side of the business? I feel like you're a creative person, but I wonder if you're also someone who digs the the business side of like Gusto versus something else, QuickBooks versus something else. <laughs> you're not. No, the um, – the the business side is actually the most interesting side for is, for right? me, right? Yeah, and that, that's you know, that, and that that's what I did at TED. I mean, I you know, I, what what was so exciting is you have this incredible body of content, which which we now have through Master Scale and Meditative Story. And how do you reimagine that? I don't. I, by the way, I don't use the word repackage. That's probably the only time I've used it this year. Okay, I like to think of it as how do you reimagine the experience? How do you take that underlying IP? and combine it with something else to create something that's never existed. And so um, the partnership side of Wait What is what excites me the most. There's so many interesting initiatives that we are uh, pursuing for the podcast that are zagging what everybody else is zigging. And um, yeah, that's that's what really fuels me. What's your process for partnerships? Like, are you someone who uses CRM to remind you to check in with them on their birthdays? Are you looking for articles? I love how you're so expressive with your face that I could see that that's like <laughs> blowing that off. That seems not me. What is your process then? High touch. 
super personal, right? So no, we don't, we don't use Salesforce or, um, any of the, the, the CRM platforms we might, we might one day, but, but right now we, um, we know the products and experiences that we want to build from the IP and we do that outreach in a, in a high, highly sort of, um, handcrafted way, uh, because we're only building things that have real scale. And we talk to every player in the space when we want to do something big. And then we, we choose one and, you know, um, we don't focus a lot of time on sponsorship sales because, um, those happen naturally. It's really when we're trying to scale horizontally, take, take the IP and create a new product out of it. And that's, that's the focus of our BD. Can you give me an example? Maybe one specific? Yeah. 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 So we think that masters of scale could become a world-class business English language learning product. Okay. Because the, the content itself, if you are looking to do business in the English speaking world, the content itself as someone with a basic knowledge of English is very alluring. And the way that founders and CEOs on master of scale express ideas is a learnable, it's a learnable syntax and, and there's grammar, there's cultural euphemisms, there's metaphors, there's, uh, language, grammar, uh, listening comprehension. And so we looked at our transcripts and we were like, this is a rich, rich body of language learning for a business audience. And so we're in the process now of talking to all the major language learning products and companies from Duolingo to, you know, to Pearson, to Rosetta Stone, you know, Berlitz and identifying the right partner to help us bring this out into the world as the first, as the, as an audio first business English language learning product. Meaning that if you're, meaning if you're in business and you don't understand what a minimum viable product is, it's really hard to work with you on launching a new product, right? You don't understand the concept, let alone understand why it matters, et cetera. You're saying you should be teaching that to business people. You should be teaching it to the entrepreneur who's going to be launching a new product. It's actually aimed at, um, non-English speakers. And so it is a language learning product. Okay. Aimed at anyone in the world that wants to do business with English speaking companies. And so we think there's this huge opportunity in Japan, Korea, China, South Latin America to launch a language learning product using audio and specifically masters of skill audio. Where do you come up with this? So one of the things that I'm trying to understand is what is wait, what is it like a business education program? Is it like a masterclass for audio with some twist? When I looked at my, what my people, my team put together as the description of what wait, what is it said, uh, a media invention company. I feel like maybe that's what you're trying to do. You're saying there's there's got to be more creativity in the way we learn. We at Wait What are going to keep trying different things to see what our what the new the, the new method of teaching is, or maybe there are a few do, different methods. Am I right that you're just kind of hunting for that? We are a company that is elevating human potential. 
That's what we do. We are a wisdom company at our heart, or you could say a teaching company. And we, we use storytelling to do that. And so any, any product or experience that helps people strengthen their skills and their ability to live to their full potential is of interest to us. And this, you just asked for one example. This is just one example. Language is a blocker for anyone interested in business that doesn't speak English. Okay. And you have a unique collection of business phrases that you could integrate into a language app and credibility from the speakers that you have on the podcast or, and, and that, you that's have that's right. Right. And when we look for a partner, we're looking for someone that has the pedi- the, the, the curriculum and pedagogical expertise to say, okay, we have 500 hours of massive scale content from 140 mm-hmm. of the world's most iconic founders. How do we take this audio material and create curriculum around it? Mm. Courses specifically to teach business English. And the business thing, the person, the language learning market is a very big market. There is, there is almost no high quality content for business English language learning. If you look at the business English language learning content, it's all manufactured by the language learning companies. That's not real content. And Meaning so that, it's, that is just one example. It's what we would feel is stilted conversation. Exactly. Well put. Do you ever feel a little intimidated because of the people that you're you're featuring because of your connection to Reed Hoffman, one of the best entrepreneurs of our of our lifetime? Do you ever feel like it maybe slows you down? Sometimes I do as a as an interviewer here. I sometimes feel like maybe if I surround myself with people who are a little bit less successful, I could feel more more successful and more aware of my, my, I don't know, my strengths instead of constantly being around people who who I'm humbled by. Uh, I'm in the process of, of slaying my ego. So, uh, when you try to get rid of your ego, um, which is a, which is a process, um, you know, those kinds of things, uh, don't really bother you. Um, no, I think we learned from the best. We learn from masters. What do you mean? When your ego is problematic, what does it do? Your ego um, are the stories that you tell yourself about yourself that are not true. And what happens is you start to identify with your own thoughts. This is, you know, this is, I'm, I'm, Sam Harris could, could tell you more about this than I can. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real prohibitor from reaching your potential because you start to believe what your runaway mind tells you about yourself. Can you give me an example and, of something that's in, in your runaway mind about yourself? Um, it might be, uh, there, there are experiences, um, things that happen every single day that, that I start to have runaway thoughts that um, we could lose the business or we're going to lose audience or mm. we're going to lose this or we're going to lose that. And I tell myself stories about myself, what I did not do to make sure that didn't happen. Uh, and when that happens, you have to drop back and say to yourself, those are thoughts that your mind, you don't have any control over. It's like stopping on, stepping onto a train yeah. and you have to step back and those thoughts will ultimately just fade away because they're not real. And so your ego feeds off of false 
stories that you tell about yourself. What if it's real? Like, as I'm listening to you, I think I should have taken audio more seriously as like a first class experience. I learned better that way. Why didn't I do more in audio first? That's a truth. How do I see that as like, I, I get your point about how that's a train. Once I get on that thought, I'm taking somewhere else that's not useful for me. And so it's better not to get useful. off that train. What if it's, I yeah, see, so, so it's the, not just, uh-huh. The, the key is to catch yourself. And so you can train your mind. And when you catch yourself, it might be an hour later where you're just like, shit, why did I, right. why did I get lost in that thinking? And soon you'll catch yourself right after you say it and soon midway and soon before you even say it in, in your own mind. Got it. So it's not just, is it true or not? Is it, it's, is it useful or not? And if it's not useful, then why get on a train that's taking you someplace that's not useful? Step off of that and be more present and be more focused on what is useful. Where's a train that's, to use your analogy too far, but where's a train that I, I do want to get on and, and go? Got that's it. right. Okay. All right. This has been really helpful. <laughs> Heady stuff. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel, I feel like you should do a podcast at some point yourself too. Like let us see the person behind the company and how you're thinking about it. But maybe when you got read up front, you should probably stay behind. I don't know. <laughs> I think you're right. All right. Um, great talking to you, Andrew. Same here. And the app is, it's called Wait What? No, no, it's called uh, Masters of Scale Courses. It's in the app store. I, again, I was looking for negative reviews and there weren't any to get a sense of like, what did I miss about it? Um, but there aren't any. It's just a well-done app, short lessons. I think uh, the one with Sarah Blankley was, what, 10 minutes? Blakely, excuse me. Blakely, yep. 10 minutes. Um, it's just uh, good stuff there. I appreciate you coming on here. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye.